This morning we're continuing our new message series, which have been titled Profound Stories. And these stories that we're talking about in this series are the parables that Jesus told. We're certainly not going to look at all of them. Jesus told dozens of parables. We're going to look at a couple this morning. And what is a parable? Well, a parable is a story about people or events in generally everyday settings in Jesus' context that had profound spiritual meanings. And today we're going to be talking, uh, the message is entitled Kingdom Minded. We're going to be talking about some profound stories or parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven as well. Those are the same things, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is, is the realm of God's sovereign reign, uh, past, present, and future. Now, the present reality of the kingdom of God is spiritual. We're going to talk more about that today. The final culmination of the kingdom of God will be, will be the physical merging with the spiritual in the new heavens and new earth. But right now, the kingdom of God is, is not a kingdom that you can see with your eyes. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's an invisible kingdom. So I'd like us to introduce that concept of the invisible kingdom by watching a video of that name, the invisible kingdom. So the present-day kingdom of God is a spiritual realm in which God's rule is acknowledged. It's not aligned with any government. It's not aligned with any political party. It's not aligned with any country. It's a kingdom. And the kingdom of God is, is opposed by the domain of darkness, which is ruled by Satan. And that results in perpetual spiritual warfare that affects every person. Warfare between the kingdom of God and the domain of darkness. The New Testament writers use the phrase, phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven over 80 times. And so it's not a minor topic. There's a major emphasis of Jesus and a major emphasis of the other New Testament writers. And yet it's not talked about much in churches. It's not well understood. I guess we could ask why not. And I... I believe it's because of the spiritual warfare that we mentioned. The enemy, Satan, tries to keep the most important topics in Scripture wrapped up in mystery, neglect, or controversy. And yet, the topic of the kingdom is, is one of great importance for each one of us. Just this last week, we had what I consider one of the most unlikely of all spokesmen for the kingdom emerged. And it's okay if you haven't heard of him. Kanye West. Okay. He's a rapper. I've never listened to his music. I shouldn't say this. I, I, I'll say it mildly. I don't like rap music, okay? But he released a new album with the provocative title, Jesus is King. And it's not just a, an old-time like he used to do rap, which probably I shouldn't have ever listened, I never did, but something you probably shouldn't have listened to. Everything in it is Christian. And I listened to an interview of him uh, a week or so ago, and I think the guy is a Christian. Uh, he's on fire for God. He understands things about God and the kingdom that many people have been Christians for a long time don't understand. God works in mysterious ways to save unlikely people, to bring them into the kingdom, and to promote the truth. 
And so Jesus is king. That's the heart of it. If you have a kingdom, you have to have a king. And Jesus is king of the kingdom. If we don't understand the kingdom of God, we won't be able to understand the events in the world. We'll have trouble discerning between truth and falsehood and thus be open to deception. But when we understand, when we see the kingdom, when we enter the kingdom, then we'll find our true purpose in life, which is ultimately expanding the kingdom. Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're all familiar with it in Matthew 6, verse 10. And these scriptures are written out for you in the program in the middle of your bulletin in the white page. It's also notes that you can take. We'll get into those in a few minutes. Jesus said we are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in heaven right now, the kingdom is completely dominant. There is no sin. There is no evil. There is no death in heaven. God's will is perfectly being carried out in heaven. And yet on earth, do we see that? The answer is absolutely not. We do not yet see the final triumph of the kingdom. And so our purpose in living as believers is to pray and to work to see God's kingdom have completely victory on earth, just as it is in heaven. Now, some people take that phrase in the Lord's Prayer to simply mean you're praying for God's kingdom to come when Jesus returns. And certainly, we'll talk about that in a minute. Certainly, that is when the culmination of the kingdom will come. But that prayer has implications for us today. We are to pray and work that God's kingdom would continue to grow and expand even now in the present time. And one day, God's kingdom will triumph and evil will be eliminated. And yet, even now, the power of the kingdom is breaking into our world through the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 8, I tell you, you are Peter, speaking to Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the rock that Jesus was talking about was not Peter, it was Peter's confession that Jesus was the Messiah or the King. And Jesus the King promised to build his church as the vehicle of the kingdom to crash through the gates of hell. And when the supernatural power of the kingdom breaks into our world, the Bible speaks of the kingdom being near. Jesus said in just one example, Luke 10, verse 9, he told his disciples, heal the sick in it in a city, they were talking about, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. As the disciples were praying for and healing people that were sick, the power of the kingdom was breaking into our world, into our dimension, and the kingdom was drawing near. And so our privilege as a church serving King Jesus is to bring the supernatural power of the kingdom into our city to change lives forever. So today we're going to learn a little bit more about Jesus, from Jesus about the kingdom of God, which is very, very different than earthly kingdoms. So first of all, the most important question is, who enters the kingdom? Who is in the kingdom of God? The first story that Jesus told that we're going to look at this morning is found in Matthew chapter 21. Beginning in verse 28, Jesus says, What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to another son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. 
So again, in these stories, in these parables that Jesus taught, the people and the aspects of the story represent different things. Here, the two sons represent two different kinds of people, those who enter the kingdom and those who do not. And so in this story, the vineyard represents the kingdom. And you enter the kingdom, not just to be in the kingdom, but to what? To work in the kingdom. You have a job to do when you enter the kingdom. The father represents God. He commands everybody to enter and to work in his kingdom. The first son said, I don't want to do it. He initially refused, but then for some reason he changed his mind and he obeyed his father and went into the vineyard and began to work there. The second son, when he was asked to enter the kingdom, said, okay, that's fine, I'll go. But he didn't go. And so the question, the answer to the question of who answered, enters the kingdom is, is really those who repent, those who change their minds, which is what the first son did. Let's continue with the story as Jesus explains it in verse 31. Which of the two, these two sons, did the will of his father? Jesus asked the question to the people he's talking to. They said the first, and that's the right answer. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believed him. And so here Jesus is speaking uh, in this, as we read the whole chapter, to a group of chief priests and elders in the temple, the Jewish leaders, and they correctly answer Jesus' question of which son did the father's will. It's the one who said he wouldn't, but he changed his mind or repented and did it. Jesus then explains who the two sons refer to in his context. The first son refers to the tax collectors and prostitutes. Now, don't, no disrespect to anybody here who works for the IRS, but in those days, the tax collectors were very uh, greedy, very corrupt, taking bribes, overtaxing, doing all kinds of really illegal things. And so they were considered uh, very evil. Prostitutes, uh, it's the same today. Yesterday, uh, in the past, they were living a life of sin. But they listened to John the Baptist's teaching. They listened to Jesus. They repented of the things they had been doing wrong. They believed in him, and they entered the kingdom. On the other hand, the Jewish leaders heard the same teaching of Jesus and John. They refused to believe him. They refused to repent. To repent is to change your mind about how you think about something. They refused to change their mind about who Jesus is and turn away from the wrong things they've been doing. So repentance from sin is a requirement to enter the kingdom of God. A second and, and corollary answer to the question of who enters the kingdom is, is those who are born again. Jesus was speaking to a Jewish leader called Nicodemus on another occasion. And he said in John 3, verse 3 and 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A couple of verses later, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So unless you're born again, you can't see or enter the kingdom of God. Being born, is a, born again is a spiritual birth. It's not your physical birth. All of us are born physically, but not all are born spiritually. Born again is being born spiritually. It's spoken of Jesus here of the washing of the word and the birth 
through the Holy Spirit. And so one who is born again through believing in Jesus Christ to forgive their sins and submit to him as the Lord or king of their lives. That person is born again. Now, Jesus talks about this a little bit later in probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever what? Who believes in him shall have eternal life. And that's what being born again is, having eternal life. And so when you're born again, you enter into the kingdom of God in this life. It's an invisible kingdom, but it's a very, very real kingdom. And so in this world, there are only two classes of people. Those who are in the kingdom and those who are outside of the kingdom. Those in the kingdom have eternal life. Those outside do not. Now today, the most popular concept of being right with God is simply being a, a good person. If I'm a good person, if I'm better than most, surely God will accept me into his kingdom and ultimately into heaven in the next life. But we see from Jesus' teaching, it has nothing to do with being good enough. That's not how a person enters the kingdom. Saying the right words is not how you enter. It's a spiritual transaction that's initiated through faith. Another widespread idea is that you get saved and enter the kingdom simply to get a ticket to heaven. And that's all it is. But we see from Jesus' story, he commands these sons to enter the kingdom or, kingdom, or the vineyard, as he was talking about, in order to work there. You can't say you're entering the kingdom and be lazy and not do any work. That's like the second son. He said, I'm going to enter, but... He didn't enter, and he did no, never work there. All who truly enter the kingdom by faith will be engaged in kingdom work. So let's look a little more closely at what Jesus taught about the kingdom by asking a second question, how does the kingdom grow? Jumping over to Mark chapter 4 for another story of Jesus, he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. So many of Jesus' stories about the kingdom are about kingdom growth. The kingdom grows. The kingdom is, you can't see it, but the kingdom is growing across our world today exponentially. A story begins with a man sowing seed. And sowing seed is doing the work of the kingdom. We know from Jesus' other stories, parables, and teachings that sowing seed is a picture of sowing the truth of the gospel. The seed is God's word. The soil is unbelievers' lives. And so the point of this story is that kingdom work is sowing the seed, but the growth of the seed is something the man doesn't need to worry about. That's not his responsibility. It's God who makes the seed grow because the kingdom grows supernaturally. Jesus continues with his story in verse 28. He says, the earth produces by itself First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he, that is the man who sowed the seed, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so God is the one who makes the seed grow. And eventually it ripens and it's ready for harvest. And so the second type of work I believe that happens in the kingdom is the reaping of the harvest. And I believe the reaping of the harvest in this particular parable, this particular story, is the point at which a person 
represented by the wheat, makes a decision to believe in Jesus. That is the harvest. You see, when you sow the seed of God's word or the truth into somebody's life, people don't immediately respond. It takes time for that seed to develop, for that seed to grow until they're ready to make a, a decision. And so the work of the kingdom is to sow seeds of God's word into people's lives. And God causes that seed to grow until it's ready to be reaped. And as that person makes a decision in faith to put their trust in Jesus as their king, they enter into this invisible kingdom. Now, not only does the kingdom grow supernaturally, the kingdom grows exponentially. Looking at another story, Jesus told some stories are long, some stories are very short. Some of the ones we're looking at today are shorter, some are longer. Mark chapter 4, verse 30, so this is immediately after the story we just read. He said, what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. When, when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So in this story, the kingdom is, is like sowing a small mustard seed, a very small seed. I looked it up, and the seeds of a mustard plant are about a millimeter in diameter. If you know your millimeters, you know that's very, very tiny. It's a very, very tiny seed. But yet it grows into a large mustard plant. Mustard seeds, uh, mustard trees can grow 20 to 30 feet high, I'm told. And the point is that a very small seed of truth, a very small seed of God's word can result in huge growth. And so in this story, I believe Jesus is referring to how obedience is sowing seed for the kingdom and whatever way we do it will result in exponential kingdom growth. Now, one of the ways that this can happen is when you sow the seed of God's word into one person's life and they make a decision to become a believer eventually and they begin sowing seeds in other people's lives and those people make decisions for Jesus Christ and they begin sowing seeds, you see you will have exponential growth and that's what's happening in our world today and we want to be part of that and that end result is far greater, it's far bigger than what seemed to be a very tiny thing that was done, sowing a very, very small seed. So what are some of the take-home lessons from these two kingdom stories? First of all, we need to see the importance of sowing seeds, of being witnesses for Jesus. It's not optional, it's, it's the main work of the kingdom for each and every believer. And then we need to have patience. You see, as we sow the seed of the gospel, we're not going to see immediate results. We need to pray. We need to trust God to cause those seeds to grow until they're ready for harvest. But we need to be ready when it's time to harvest the crop, to see the person make a decision for Christ and be added to the church. The second story speaks of us and not despising small beginnings or kingdom initiatives that seem very small. All too often think people tend to give up on things in the kingdom. They say, this is too small. This isn't growing fast enough. There's a problem here. Well, things grow at different rates. But have patience. Trust God. The seed that is sown, if it's the truth of God's word, 
will produce an exponential result if we keep believing, if we keep working in the kingdom. Now, the last question we're going to look at this morning is, what is the future of the kingdom? We'll jump to Matthew chapter 13. Jesus said, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, this is a much longer parable that Jesus taught. We don't have time to look at the whole thing. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter of Matthew chapter 13 this week, but we're going to cover the high points. Again, we see some similarities to the other stories. The kingdom of God work is sowing good seed, good seed in the field of the world. But Jesus here says there is another sower, an enemy, who's sowing bad seeds or weeds among the good wheat seeds. And so now here we have it, two types of people in the world. Those who are the wheat and those who are the weeds. And so that's a present picture of our world. It's a wheat field infested with weeds. And as we go through the story, Jesus said, somebody asked him, well, let's just remove the weeds. And Jesus said, no, we're not going to remove the weeds until the harvest at the end of time. So this is a different type of harvest in this story. At the end of time, evil will be removed. Verse 30, Jesus says, let both grow together, the wheat and the weeds, until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. And so Jesus is clearly teaching that evil and evildoers will exist in our world until Jesus returns. We just have to accept that fact. They're going to grow together. In fact, we can deduce from this that each is going to mature together. The righteousness and the growth of the wheat, the kingdom, is going to expand. And the depravity and evilness of the wickedness in the world is going to grow and get worse as well. Notice the field is a wheat field, though, with the weeds mixed in. The kingdom is the wheat field that consists of all believers. And at the end of time, the weeds will be removed from the field for burning and the wheat will be harvested, and God's kingdom will triumph. Jesus tells us exactly what's going to happen in verse 41. He says, the Son of Man will send his angels. The Son of Man is Jesus. And they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has an ear, let him hear. And so at the end of time, Jesus, the king of the kingdom, will send his angels to remove the weeds, uh, all causes of sin, all lawbreakers, which is unbelievers, and they will be removed from the kingdom. And what is their fate? Since they have chosen in this life not to submit to the king of the kingdom, well, they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. It's the place of eternal torment, what we call, Jesus calls hell in other places. And what remains then in the field will be the wheat, the righteous, who are going to shine brightly in the kingdom of God forever and ever. And so we have two absolutely opposite fates will be the culmination of every person's fate on this earth. An eternity of joy with God or an eternity of torment without him. 
But Jesus left us no doubt about whether the kingdom was going to triumph. The kingdom is going to triumph along with all those who have seen and entered into it in their lifetimes. So how can the future of the kingdom impact our lives today? First of all, we can have a realistic view of what to expect in our world. The view that the world is getting better and better. There was a time a couple decades ago people were teaching that. Not so much anymore. It's not. The teaching that everybody's eventually going to get saved is not. Jesus directly contradicts that idea. The wheat and the weeds or tares will grow together until the end of time. And those in the kingdom of God are going to be in conflict with the enemy's domain throughout this age until Jesus returns again. And yet we should be encouraged that in the end, the kingdom wins. We're on the winning team as believers. It's going to triumph. And there'll come a day when all sin, all lawbreakers will be removed from the kingdom. No need for police in the kingdom, in eternity, in heaven. <clears throat> It will all be peace. And so we look forward to that time. Death, sickness, pain, sin will be no more. We'll spend eternity with God in his kingdom in the new heavens and new earth. And so the future is not just about heaven. This is a topic for another message. It's about heaven coming down and merging with earth. A new heavens and a new earth. It's about having glorified bodies like Jesus had. Both spiritual and physical be incredible. More wonderful than we can imagine. And so what must, we about, must, what must we be about in our lives? As believers, we must be about the work of the kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. And then everything else you need will be added to you. What is that work? The work is sowing seeds of truth, kindness, love into the lives of people around us. Believing that God will make those seeds grow. And at the right time, we'll begin to reap a harvest of friends, of relatives, Workmates who are believing and putting their trust in Jesus, the king of the kingdom. There'll be times we experience setbacks. There'll be times we experience attacks of the enemy, opposition from the enemy. But we can be encouraged because we know the end of the story. The complete triumph of the kingdom and eternity with King Jesus. Jesus is king. He's the one who created the universe. Flung the stars into place. He has an eternity plan for those in his kingdom that's too wonderful to describe. So let's live for the king and bring as many people as possible into his kingdom. Now in order to enter the kingdom of God, we've already talked about it, you must be born again. How do you be born again? Well, there's not multiple ways to be born again. There's not multiple ways to, uh, to have a relationship with God the only way is through Jesus Christ. To do that, we admit that we've sinned and repent. We turn away from that sin. Secondly, we believe we put our faith and trust in Jesus. He's the only way. And we commit to following him as the king. You see, there, when there's a king, you have to do what the king says. We follow what the king says. And that's what it takes to be born again. If you pray a prayer like that, which we're going to do in a minute, you will enter into the kingdom. You'll begin to see things you've never seen before. You begin to understand things you've never understood before. You'll be part of an eternal kingdom. So let's bow our heads right now.
We're going to pray if you're not sure you're a believer today, if you're not sure you're in the kingdom, if you're not sure that you're born again, I'd encourage you to pray with me. Perhaps you've made a prayer in the past, but you're not sure. You wandered away from that belief. You've wandered away from following the king. I'd encourage you to recommit your life today as well. So let's pray something like this. Father, today, just pray along in your own mind. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've disobeyed the king. I've done wrong things. I repent. I turn away from those things. And I believe and put my trust in Jesus to forgive my sins. I believe he died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. He rose from the dead. And he's alive today. And I commit myself to following Jesus the king, my Lord, all the days of my life. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today, we thank you for these stories of Jesus that help us understand this invisible kingdom. And today, first of all, we submit our lives to the king and to the work of the kingdom. Forgive us for getting distracted with so many other things in life that we forget about seeking your kingdom first. May everything that we do, whether in our families, our work, or our church, be done for your kingdom. Help us to be continually sowing seeds of truth to those around us, seeds of truth, seeds of love, seeds of kindness, trusting you to make those seeds grow. And we acknowledge there's going to be warfare with the weeds and the powers behind them. But we ask that you would strengthen us and protect us in our fight with evil. And we pray for an abundant harvest in our church and in our lives, God. And we look forward to your soon return when all evil will be removed and we will live eternally in your kingdom. We pray that all of us would become more passionate about sowing these seeds of the truth of your word, of being witnesses to those around us. Today we pray for missionaries Peter and Rachel Dow that we support who are working in Network 211. We pray for this internet ministry that is continuing to connect with, mo- with millions of people around the world, sharing the seeds of the gospel through the Internet. Uh, we pray that you would continue to cause this ministry to bear fruit and to bring in a harvest of people into the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.